0: And yet they don't believe it. This is the hypocrisy that's about to be pointed out here in verse 15. And yet everything is true. And yet what are they doing? They're trying to bait Jesus, really to take the bait, as it were, to bite on the bait. Jesus, man, if we could butter you up, maybe you'll go along with us here. Now, what is the issue? It's there at the end of verse 14. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Now, let me just say this. This is one of the perfect sermons roughly around April 15th of this year, or any year for that matter, right, on taxes. Like, who here enjoys paying their taxes? Probably not, unless you work for the IRS. You probably would say no to that. No one enjoys paying their taxes. There's no national holiday to celebrate April 15th. Have you noticed that? Like, we're, well, it'll never happen. And, but you say, yeah, but, but certainly, is Jesus saying pay tax? Like, what is going on here? Well, this is a very special tax. One that was especially hated by the Jews. These are not local taxes to pay in Jerusalem. This is not the temple tax. That was another tax. This is even not the tax that as a Jewish person you would have paid to King Herod. You know, who sits on his throne. He had a certain tax. These are all Jewish officials. You would have paid your taxes. Maybe you would have liked it, but you still would have done it. No, no, no. This is a different tax. This is called the poll tax. And this was a tax that was not paid to any Jewish official, but was paid to, you guessed it, Caesar. Now, this is especially hated because the Jewish people are subjugated people. I mean, can you imagine? Like, you, you haven't had freedom from for centuries. You've been under the, the Roman boot for, for generations after generation after generation. And you have to pay this tax every year to remind yourselves and to be reminded that you are a subjugated people. And, and so this tax... Was it paid? To, it was paid directly to Rome, to Caesar himself. Now we we have a picture here. This is a. Do we have that picture? Yeah, this is of a denarius coin. This is crazy. Back in 2008, Kirsten and I actually went to Israel. And we actually got one of these. We have it home, and she's like, "Why didn't you tell me about this head of time? You could have held it up." That sort of thing, like that. But we have one now. Ours is is not nearly as expensive as this one would be today. Like you can get them now for about a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars. They've gone up in value in two thousand years, I'd say, All right? But it's worth about a day's wages, as it were, maybe about fifty hundred bucks, something like that, by today's standards, right? Our, ours is probably worth worth probably 40, 50 bucks a day. It was, it, mint condition is sort of what this is the one that you're looking at. Ours is not. But this is what you look at. Now, there are two things about this coin I want to point out. Two things. One, there's an image of Caesar on it. And the other is an inscription. There's an inscription on the front of it and there's an inscription on the back of it. Now, this is important to know. You have the Pharisees. You have the Herodians. And there's another party called the Zealots. Now, the Zealots are the ones who end up fomenting revolution, rebellion, and it ends up collapsing on them in AD 70. The temple's destroyed by the Romans because of the rebellion. But the Zealots are, 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 are you know, they're moving about and, and they're seeking to, to rebel. And one of the things that they believed was that you never paid the tax. They said, to hell with the tax. We're never going to touch this tax. We'll pay the Jewish taxes, but we'll never pay a tax to Caesar who has subjugated us. So that was one party, one extreme militants, we might call them, something like that. And he had the Pharisees. The Pharisees would say, well, we hate the tax, but but we also have power. <laughs> Rome has allowed us to be the religious establishment. So, guys, pay your taxes, please. That sort of thing like that. Then he had the Rhodians were like, we love the tax because we love Caesar. He gives us some power. That sort of thing like that. But there's a fourth party and those were his disciples. Now, I'm going to come back to them here in a second, but let's keep that picture up for a second. Just to, Here's here's why that's important. All those parties are Jewish. Now in the Torah, it says no graven images. Okay. Now they debated, by the way, they debated whether or not you could make a graven image of an animal, even a plant. Yeah, should we do that or not? Make an ox out of a stone? I'm not sure. But everyone, there's no debate about this. Everyone was of the same opinion. No graven images of people. Absolutely not. Hail Caesar. Now, here's the inscription on the front side. Front side, it says, Son of the Divine. Son of the Divine. Caesar was worshipped as a god. And you know what it said on the back side of that coin? Pontiff Maximum. High Priest. He was the high priest of the cult of Caesar. Now, if you wanted to figure out a way to really tick off the Jewish people... Make them pay with his coin. Okay, <laughs> You see where we're going with this? So this is not just any question to Jesus. That's my point. You with me on that? This is, this is like the hot button question. And notice what they did with the question. They said, Jesus, pay it or not. Yes or no. This is binary. We're trying to trap you. And here's why. Because if, he, if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax. All the people, all the Jewish people who have been on his side this whole time are going to revolt against him. Because this was the issue of the day. This is the hot button issue. And he will lose his audience if he says yes. But what happens if he says no? And yeah, it's pretty easy. The Herodians and the Pharisees, together hand in hand, will say, Hey, hey, Pontius Pilate, I want to let you know what Jesus just said. Treason. Oh, yeah. Let's execute him now. See, Jesus is screwed one way or the other based on the trap they've set. There's a lot going on here. But you know what? There's another trap. Here's the other trap. It's an internal trap. It says there in the test that they they tested him. We're going to see that in verse 15 in a second. They tested him. And that means to, to tempt. It's a temptation. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, and yet was without sin. So this is a true temptation. What is the temptation for Jesus? To choose sides. Become candidate Jesus. You know, some of you know this. I was a political science major, and before that, I mean, I was into politics. Man, let me tell you, like my whole family is now really politically conscious because when I was like 15 years old, I started getting involved in local politics. And uh, now I regret it, to be honest with you, because they're really into it. In a way, that I'm like, okay, slow down, guys. Cool your jets here, sort of thing like that. But, like, I mean, when I was in high school, like when everyone else was reading, like, romance novels and things like that, like, I was reading political ideology. And I was, like, totally into that. I started these groups in high school. I had my radio talk show in college. I started several groups in college. And my first job, I left college early, three months early, so that I could help run a congressional campaign at the age of 23. And I was at Muncie, Indiana, most miserable three months of my life, just letting you know here. But, like, I was on this congressional campaign, and at the time, like, we were supposed to win the race. Like, we were destined to win this race, and we ended up losing the primary. primary. It was the tightest race in the nation in 1994. Out of 50,000 votes, we lost by less than 500 votes. And I couldn't tell you how happy I was to have lost, but I'll get to that here in a second. But you, you talk about, like, someone who is politically active, you're looking at the guy right here. And here's the thing, when I look at, and I still love a political landscape to study it today. And we know this, there there are candidates who sort of lick a finger and kind of hold it to the air. It's like, what will be the winning cause? What will get me into office? I just need to cross the finish line, right? That sort of thing like that. And we say some politicians, they don't feel like they have integrity, that sort of thing. You don't have to be cynical to believe that because it's true. There is a lack of integrity at times in the political establishment. And I want you to know that Jesus was no stranger to that temptation. This whole time, for three years, like he's been riding this groundswell of, 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 of the people's favor, as it were, and yet he's being, being tasked here or given the opportunity to, to finally choose sides. Are you with us or are you with Rome? Now, how will Jesus answer the question? Now, let's hit the pause button on that. Because I want to talk about us. Yeah, I want to talk about us. I don't see. I don't talk about. I don't talk politics from the pulpit in the sense that you'll never hear me, and I haven't for 18 years. But you will never hear me ever say, "Well, here's the candidate. I want you to support him." That sort of thing, like that. There are churches that do that. This will never be one of those churches. Churches on the left and the right, they both do it. They're equal, equal offenders, in my opinion. But I, so that's not going to happen here. But it is important that we talk about politics. It is important that we talk about how do we think christianly about politics and so here's where i want to start i want to start with the trap because i think we fall into the trap that jesus ends up avoiding here here's what i mean by that i think that you and i we have what i call disordered allegiances disordered allegiances augustine put it this way disordered loves what's well, the yeah, same idea loves allegiance same thing I think that we we get things out of order. This is what how C. S. Lewis put it. Put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. Now I'm gonna focus primarily on politics here just for a second because I don't get a chance to really do that very often. But do we not live in a day and age of political tribalism? Yeah, isn't it crazy? I mean how many of you feel anxious you know just reaching uh, you don't have to raise your hands, but you know I know you internally like you all feel that you feel anxiety every time there's a political headline, you know like right now we don't have uh you know the head of congress the head of the House of Representatives it's like what will happen? you know we can feel that anxiety building and we see we see people just snipping and snapping at each other, left and right, politically left and right, sort of thing like that. I mean, it is crazy, by the way, just so you know it is crazy the Pharisees and the Herodians were together it's like Like sort of like a conservative Republican and a socialist having a pizza party together. I mean, it's crazy. We can't imagine that because of the tribalism of our day. We can't imagine that people who have different philosophies, different ideologies of governance could ever imagine sitting down together at the same table. I mean, we see the hatred today. And it's real. Now, I've made mention this briefly in the past. But I really want to hone in on this. I really want you to hear this because I really believe this. Something has changed. Something has changed in our generation that we've never seen before. Here's what I mean by that. Multiple authors, I've read multiple articles, multiple authors saying the same exact thing. There seems to be a correlation with the decline of religiosity, or really the decline of religion, and the rise of secularism, and the rise of political ideology as in everything. This is what I'm getting at in terms of allegiance. As I'm going to say in a second, we better participate in the political system. As good citizens of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, we better do that, be good citizens. But we can take that to an extreme. And we can make politics everything. We can make politics everything. And how many of us, having done, and like, so getting back to my story here, like, after three months in that congressional campaign and we lost, I could not wait to get back home because I was so exhausted. And I realized that I had placed my, whole, my hopes in, in the political order of things. And I, it crushed me. And I'm wondering, what is it for you? Maybe it is politics. You ever, ever look at the approval ratings for, for, for presidents? Like when they leave office versus when they come in? With one exception, every president has a lower rating going out than when they come in. Why? Well, you would say, come on, what are the chances that every president going to screw it up? Some of you are like, yeah, I know. I think they all do. But my point is, like, what are the chances? The reality is this. We all have these high hopes and dreams and aspirations for the president of whatever party to come through for us. And then they disappoint us. And I think to a certain degree for some of us in here, It's because our allegiance was too high. Like we we weren't living in what I call Christian realism about the nature of humanity. And so we have these hopes and these dreams that we didn't maybe articulate verbatim so forth. but Unconsciously, we had these hopes and dreams that a certain ideology would come through for us in the marketplace of ideas or in the place of governance. Our political party that we that we enjoy more than, more than others. A certain ideology. I mean, tribalism is alive and well today. Forget about political parties just for a second. I mean, ideologies as tribalism is alive and well on both the left and the right today. And the extremes are getting more extreme on both the left and the right today. I don't think that's like a coincidence. In other words, I think there's a correlation there. with The rise of secularism and what we're seeing happen. Our loss of civicness, civic-mindedness, I think is, is a part of that today. And it really concerns me and it burdens me as a leader to see that. is going to joke with me. And I laugh at this because, you know, every time I, I'll, I'll say stuff like this at home, and she'll say like, do you really want to run? Like, could you want to be president one day? I go, yes. I would love to be president one day. She goes, there's something wrong with you for wanting that. <laughs> kind of like, It's true. Like, every time I take a shower, I have nothing else to do. I'm just showering away, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, I could do better than the president. This, that, you know, kind of thing like that. <laughs> you ever do that? Am I alone in that? Like, I run for office all the time, and I've never lost, by the way. Uh, <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, but I'm pretty sure they don't want a pastor for a president. I'm pretty sure about that much here. But I'm telling you, we will. Uh, you put a pastor in office, you're going to be disappointed. And I'm telling you, if it's not politics, it'll be something else. You know, thanks be to God they're on approval ratings for you in your office, right? Can you imagine, you know, Richard's had an 87% approval rating at the beginning of his career. Now he's down to 53% after one year of uh, working here. I mean, that'd be, that'd be terrible, right? But I, I bet you, like, there are bosses who are, who are like, man, I expect more of so-and-so. Or maybe it's the other way around. I expect more of my boss, right? Now, it's one thing to be disappointed in the sense of like, ah, I wish they had come through, you know, in that project at work. It's another thing to be crushed. It's another thing to feel like your world is falling apart because you where your career is headed. It's another thing to you know to be in a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend, and they break up with you and your soul is crushed. Why? Because you had an allegiance. You had an expectation, friends. I'm telling you, wherever you see allegiance and it's not in the right order of things work, career, relationships, politics, I, I guarantee you you'll see. A level of anger that feels disproportionate, that feels disordered. Because if your loves are disordered, so will your anger. Let me say that again. If your love is disordered, your anger will also be disordered as well. And that's where I feel like as Christians, we get so sideways sometimes in our culture today. And we wonder why it is at times that, that the church doesn't look like a place of love. You know? So here at the end of this first point. I want to say this. What allegiances feel disordered for you right now as I say that? What, is there something that, that kind of comes to mind? Maybe it is politics, maybe it's something else. But look, here's the good news it's how Jesus escapes, it's the answer. It's also good for us as well. Verse 15, very quickly there. But knowing their hypocrisy, he, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, that same coin we saw on, the, on here a second ago, and let me look at it, right? So he, the hypocrisy, he knows that they're just trying to butter his bread. Verses 16 and 17. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now why do they marvel? I'm going to tell you here in the last part of this sermon. One of the words I want you to to camp out on just for a second is the word render. The word render Literally means to give what is owed. Its opposite is to defraud. So what Jesus is saying is, don't defraud Caesar. Huh? Don't expect Jesus to say that. Don't defraud Caesar and don't defraud God. Now I would expect in that second part, but don't defraud Caesar. Let me make two points here. One, contra the zealots, the ones who said to hell with the taxes of Rome, Jesus says though no, there are legitimate authorities that we owe allegiance to. Let me say that again. God has instituted legitimate authorities. If you don't believe me, listen to what Paul says. Romans 13. In section verses 1-7, through Paul is addressing the issue. Now, who is he writing to in Romans? The church in Rome, right? But right in Caesar's backyard, this is what he writes in verse 1. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And then verses 2 through 6, he essentially reinforces that. And then he comes back to verse 7 to conclude by he says this. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Huh, Paul, where'd you get that from? Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now here's the thing I want you to, word render there. But then secondly, here's one I want you to also keep in mind. The word likeness. The word image there. Now, remember that coin? Whose image was on the coin? Whose likeness? And they said, Caesar's, right? Now, in the ancient world, wherever you saw someone in power and you saw their picture on what it was imprinted upon, it belongs to them. In other words, what, what the denarius was, was communicating to the Jewish people as well as others throughout the Roman Empire who also would have had the denarius was that Caesar owns this. And there's a little part of you that owes him as a result. You follow with that? So, Caesar owns this. Wherever you see Caesar's imprint, it's something that he owns. You follow? And there's something that, that you owe, right? And what Paul comes along with, and he says, yes, there are legitimate authorities. Jesus, when he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar, he's just saying, look, as Christians, we need to exist well with excellence in the kingdoms of this world in a way that brings honor and respect. Now, I'm going to come back to this here in a second, but let me just say this. I just read an article this past week, and it said that that the IRS says that there's a record amount of money that's currently owed by individuals and corporations, nearly $700 billion is what's currently owed in taxes, back taxes that haven't been paid. So I think on the surface, at the very least, what we can say is, you know what, if we're going to be honoring to God, we better be paying our taxes. Like, we, we, you know, the IRS, I know we don't like them that much, that sort of thing. We always say that to ourselves. But look, these are legitimate authorities. And whatever the legitimate tax is, we, we owe them to that. And Here's the other thing I think is important that I think Jesus is saying. The render Caesar, what is Caesar's? I think that God wants us to participate in the political process. I think we have to be very, very careful. On one end of the spectrum, I just said politics can be your God. But you know what the other end of the spectrum can be? Well, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm, you know, there's there's a, there's a group of people in in in, um, in Judea who are like, oh, we're not going to participate in society. We're going to back out. I was listening to a a political radio talk show host this just this past week here in Atlanta, and and so he's got this pretty pretty strong uh, political ideology. It's it's why he has a radio talk show. But then he makes a comment one day on listening, and he says, I, I don't I don't vote. And I thought to myself, and yet you gripe and complain a lot. And I just found it very disconcerting and disturbing that someone who chooses not to participate in the political process feels like they can gripe for money. Basically, is what they do as a full-time job. Yeah, I said that. And I want to say that to us as well. If you have the ability to vote, you better. Unless I'm just not going to complain about anything. Okay, that's fine. But I think there's, there's something that's disconcerting about, about complaining about our political process, but not participating in the political process. So, I'm going to get off, out of the bully pulpit and get back to where I was before. Sorry. Gosh, that was hard. No one is laughing. Okay, all right, I'm moving on here. Like, I just feel like your eyes staring at me like, uh, you better keep moving on here, buddy. Um, but this is nothing compared to what I'm about to tell you. Because this is not the marvel that Jesus is saying, alright, Caesar's legit. Because at the same time that he says that Caesar's legit, this is what's brilliant. He says, Caesar is less than. What do you mean? Where do you see that? What did, what did Jesus say about the coin? What, whose inscription is this? Or Sorry, whose, whose likeness is this? Caesar's. Now, remember what I said about Likeness and owing. At the end of the day, what is Jesus actually saying about Caesar? Yeah, that's his coin. Give it to him. Yeah, that's fine. But he's not Lord. Why? What do you mean? What does that mean exactly? Rendered Caesar was Caesar's. Wherever he see Caesar and name it, okay, fine, like that. But rendered to God what is God's. Now, here's where the penny dropped, or maybe I should say the denarius dropped for me, okay? Bad joke. Here's, what, here's where it dropped for me uh, in, 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 uh, in, in getting ready for this here. Do you remember what happens right after this with Pontius Pilate? Where Jesus is with, with uh, Pontius Pilate and he's in the palace and and Jesus is being led towards his crucifixion. And remember, uh, back and forth, uh, Pilate says, are you a king? Uh, king of the G- are, are, come on, really, are you? Seriously? And then he finally is exasperated with Jesus. Do you remember what he says? This is in John chapter 19. He says, he says, don't you know that I have the power to free you? I have, he says, the authority to free you. And here's what Jesus says in response to verse 11. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Now, what did Paul say in Romans 13, verse 1 at the very end there, going back? Remember what he said there? For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Caesar is not Lord. Caesar has minimal power. But where he's been instituted, it's legitimate. Where he's been instituted by sovereign God, we pay attention with honor, with respect. We pay our taxes and so forth. But here's where the denarius really dropped for me this week. It's what the meaning of render to God what is God's. Remember, what's the issue with the denarius? It's the image. This is absolutely revolutionary. If you go back to the original creation story in Genesis chapter one, this is why we read that earlier. And Christian, read that for us here, verses 27 following. See, in, in the ancient world, all peoples were subjugated to kings and to queens, queens, but typically kings. And here's part of the reason why that happened. The way that it did, only the king was divine. Or sorry, only the king had, had high value and worth because he was divine. Because he was made in the image of the God or the gods. But Moses comes along and he writes down the Jewish creation story, which says what? No, not, not just kings and queens. All people. There's no revolution like that. This is, I mean, this is unheard of. All people are made in the image of God. The true God, true likeness. Now, come to the time of Jesus and Caesar. Caesar, son of the divine, sound familiar, right? There's one on earth who's divine. It's Caesar. And what does Jesus say? Render Caesar what is Caesar's. I'm demoting you, Caesar. Render to God what is God's. Where's the imprint? Where's the likeness? What's the coin of the realm? Human beings, everyone, including Caesar. Do you see what Jesus has done? He's demoted Caesar to a mere human being. Caesar, if you were a good king, a good lord, a good leader, you would recognize you owe him everything. I want to put this on the screen. This is what I want you to hold on to today. Here it is. We owe Caesar something, but we owe God everything. That's what Jesus does with the trap. He turns it on them. And he turns it on us. We have legitimate things that we owe to the ones that sovereign God has has given to us as leadership and I have a friend of mine, he's a former Secret Service agent. I was just with him this past week. Oh my gosh. He told me some amazing stories about the presidency. Stuff that like, you know, I'm not going to repeat here. But he some amazing stories. And one of the things he said is, because he worked with several presidents, about three different presidents, and and I said, what was that like? You know, very different presidents. He says, well, I enjoyed some better than others, he said. And he says, I had to remember that that I'm here to protect the office of the presidency. I had to remind myself, and this is the honor, this is the respect, that my friend in the Secret Service was being mindful of. And so I think we remind ourselves that there's honor and there's respect that's owed human beings. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. And I I think that, that when we really delve into this, it's just like we said last week about the stewardship stuff. I made, the, I made the comment last week that we don't own our own bodies, and now no wonder Mark says what he does up to verse twelve about stewardship parable of the tenants, and then right after this, he's connecting it now. Who owns us? God. He owns everything, our bodies. Now I've said this before. There's no such thing, you know, as a, as a. That self-harm or anything like that that doesn't also harm someone else and at the very least it doesn't harm God. It absolutely harms God. Whatever we do with our bodies, whatever we do with our lives, you can say this is, a, this is something I'm choosing to do. No one else is hurt by this. It's my decision. Oh, let me tell you. It hurts the one who made you. Just as a parent, you know this. If you're a parent and your child does something and you're powerless to control that as it were, it hurts you in the same way. He says your God owns everything. And we're to be good stewards of everything that we have. Our money, our relationships, our bodies. Um, our politics. So here near the close, I want to ask you this question. What are your allegiances today? When I bring that up, like what, what comes to mind here? But I want to show you at the close how it's made possible. What, uh, this, is, this is really profound when I think about the person of Jesus here and, and who we see him here in this text. Mark is driving at, the, at this more than any of the other Gospels. More than, like, this is the highlight. This is the, the theme, the narrative. He says, I want you to know that Jesus is king. His authority is contested in whoever has the authority and the end of the day has allegiance. And that's true in our world as well. Whoever we think has the authority will have our allegiance. And Mark is saying there's one king, one Lord, one great authority who should get everything from us, all things in the end. But who is that king? Who is that authority? Isn't it profound to you that in this passage, Jesus has to borrow a coin? Jesus doesn't have any money. Why? Because he's poor. Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man, elsewhere, he says, doesn't have a place to lay down his head. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 put it this way. He who emptied himself, who who was poor, poured himself out. For you and for me. How is it possible? Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember what he says there? It says, yet not my will, but yours. Don't you see? Jesus got his allegiances right. He absolutely got his allegiances right so that he could reshape ours. And he goes to the cross in his poverty, not just physical poverty, but he emptied himself of everything. That he was humiliated on our behalf. He took the wrath of sin upon himself so that we would receive new life, new allegiance to be reshaped. You know, there's all these, these revolutions that are happening around Jesus. There's the political revolution of, of the zealots. There's the, the nationalistic uh, revolution of the Jewish leaders in the establishment. There are the Pharisees who want a moral revolution. But Jesus says, I have one revolution. It's a revolution of love. It's a revolution that changes the heart because only love can change the heart. Only love can reshape your allegiances, friends. And Jesus goes to the cross out of love and out of mercy for you and for me. And I say to you, if Jesus did that, is he not a king with true authority who deserves our everything? So here at the end, at the very end of that passage, verse 17 says they marveled at him. Now, the religious leaders, they marveled at him because they thought they had the perfect trap and he still escaped. He owned them basically. But what is it that you marvel at? Isn't this a profound passage? It was for me this week. I marveled. Jesus said his brilliancy and what it means that we owe him everything because we are the coin of his realm. The coin of his kingdom. And So make City Church be that place full of the coins of the realm of the Lord Jesus Christ. May you be reshaping your allegiances so that you might go out and participate in the political process. That you might leverage your finances for the kingdom of God. That you might leverage your relationships to bring wholeness to other people and shalom to the city. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render to God what is God's. Let's pray. Father, we look at Jesus and we see that He was the exact imprint, that He carried the likeness, that He was your coin, so to speak. When Thomas said, how can we possibly know who God is? And you said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We've seen the coin of the realm and perfection. Without flaw, it's you, Jesus Christ. It's your life, it's your death, and your resurrection. And you said that we too are made in the image of God. We are the sons and daughters, Jesus. We are your brothers and sisters. We've been made in that image, that imprint. We bear your likeness, Jesus. There's a gap. We confess as we will in a second. There's a gap between what you say is true and how we live our lives, Jesus, by your power. The power defeated sin and death itself. Would you close that gap that we might look just a little bit more Like you, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your lordship. We think that you are the sovereign. We think that you are true Caesar. Praise your name, Amen.
1: Amen. So each week we respond to the teaching of God's word with a time of confession, and that's where I'm going to lead us now. As uh, we were listening to uh, to Scott preach the sermon, I was I was reminded of a scene in my favorite movie. Um, which is The King's Speech. And if you know that movie, it's about Prince Albert in the 1930s. And he's he's got a speech impediment. He's second in line to the throne. His son's supposed to take the throne, and his son abdicates. And so just the weight of becoming a king is crushing him, being his dad's successor. And, and And the film is just filled with him both being crushed and outbursts of anger. And he's sitting with his therapist with a coin in his hand with a picture of his dad on it that for him represented being king emperor and he's sitting with his therapist telling him about how he just felt so crushed and his his therapist says to him easy enough to give away you don't have to carry that around in your pocket and even for him who was going to be a king and it just made me think as i listened to the sermon what are those coins that we carry around in our pocket that's either crushing us or causes as, as, as scott said inordinate bursts of anger I know a lot of us in here are parents. I know for me, as, as a parent, I, when my, my kids aren't listening to me or obeying, it's easy for me to get have an outburst of anger that's inordinate to what they deserve. Because my own face is on that coin of parent. Maybe you have coins in your pocket about being a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend. Or maybe a child wanting to perform for your parents. A worker. We all have them. And so, as we go now into confession, I want to ask you the question for, for you to take with you to the Lord in confession. The Lord, show me what are those coins I carry in my pocket that shouldn't be first, but to make them first before you. An offering to, to Him in confession. is, of course, only His image, the one that He's put on you, is the one that won't crush you. So, take a few moments now quietly in your seats and then bring this before the Lord.